From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. Once again, to Let the Bible Speak, featuring messages from the ministry of Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. Currently, Dr. Cairns is preaching a series of studies in the doctrine of the person and work of the Holy Spirit, a subject which is sadly neglected in our day. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns in just a few minutes. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of C.H. Spurgeon, as found in his collection called Morning and Evening. This morning's text comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. A primary qualification for serving God with any amount of success and for doing God's work well and triumphantly is a sense of our own weakness. When God's warrior marches forth to battle strong in his own might, when he boasts, I know that I shall conquer, my own right arm and my conquering sword shall get unto me the victory. Defeat is not far distant. God will not go forth with that man who marches in his own strength. He who reckoneth on victory thus has reckoned wrongly. For it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. They who go forth to fight, boasting of their prowess, shall return with their gay banners trailed in the dust, and their armor stained with disgrace. Those who serve God must serve Him in His own way and in His strength, or He will never accept their service. That which man does, unaided by divine strength, God can never own. The mere fruits of the earth He casts away. He will only reap that corn, the seed of which was sown from heaven, watered by grace, and ripened by the sun of divine love. God will empty out all that thou hast before he will put his own into thee. He will first clean out thy granaries before he will fill them with the finest of the wheat. The river of God is full of water, but not one drop of it flows from earthly springs. God will have no strength used in his battles, but the strength which he himself imparts. Are you mourning over your own weakness? Take courage, for there must be a consciousness of weakness before the Lord will give thee victory. Your emptiness is but the preparation for your being filled, and your casting down is but the making ready for your lifting up. When I am weak, then am I strong. Grace is my shield, and Christ my song.
An indispensable part of the Christian life is daily Bible reading. If you're looking for some guidance in the study of God's Word, we're happy to offer a very helpful but brief brochure entitled Ten Commandments of Bible Study. Prepared by several ministers of the Free Presbyterian Church, including Dr. Alan Cairns, it will help you to gain much blessing from your time in the Scriptures. The method is designed to help believers achieve a comprehensive knowledge of the chapter contents of the Scriptures and to enable them to use that knowledge to guide and quicken them in their personal prayer lives. For a free copy of Ten Commandments of Bible Study, simply email info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you wish to call us, you may phone 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. If you prefer regular mail, simply write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. 
Increase your knowledge of God's Word by requesting your free copy of Ten Commandments of Bible Study. On today's edition of Let the Bible Speak, Dr. Cairns continues a series of studies in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, bringing the next portion of a message dealing with the work of the Spirit in the ministry of Christ. We've seen that the Holy Spirit was deeply involved in the Incarnation. Furthermore, the Bible makes it clear that Christ was indwelt by the Holy Spirit so that every communication between His humanity and His deity was through the Holy Spirit. It was at Christ's baptism that he began his earthly ministry, and here again the Holy Spirit was present and active, both to demonstrate Christ's purity and to prove the validity of Christ's Messiahship. Now Dr. Cairns continues this message on the work of the Holy Spirit in the ministry of Christ. Watch something carefully when you read the Bible. You'll find that everything that the Lord Jesus did, he did by the Spirit. One great writer on the subject of the Holy Spirit said, Nothing was undertaken but by the Spirit's direction, nothing spoken but by His guidance, nothing executed but by His power. Now let that sink in. Remember, this is the God-man. And yet, as He walked this earth, He did not act merely by virtue of the fact that He was God in union with the human nature. You know, what he did and said was all dependent on the indwelling and infilling Spirit of God. Now that leads me to make a statement that you'll have to think out. I dare say you've never heard it in your life before. So be it. I've never heard anybody say it from the pulpit either, so we're all in the same boat. But I'm going to say it anyway. I think that it may help us to understand this mystery of the indwelling Spirit of God. It would appear to me, since Jesus Christ 
depended on the Holy Spirit for every word he spoke, every step he took, and every work that he did, that every communication from Christ's divine nature to his human nature was by the Holy Spirit. Or as that same old writer put it, the Holy Spirit is, some mysterious way, the link of communication between the two. I'll sum it up this way. That having formed the sinless humanity of Christ, the Holy Spirit supervised its physical, mental, and spiritual growth, guaranteeing such manifestations of the divine glory and power of the incarnate God as the Spirit in His wisdom deemed proper to the development of the man, Christ Jesus. Now that's a big statement. It would be the subject of a theological lecture rather than just a statement in a sermon. But I want you to think of it. You see, when you read some of the apocryphal Gospels, when you hear some of the fables of the Church of Rome, for instance. You'll be told stories of prodigious miracles that the baby Jesus did. You know, the Scripture is completely silent in these things. The incarnation was a miracle. But yet, God did not create any monstrosity. It was a true babe that was born in Bethlehem. It was a true growth that that babe underwent. Oh, he was always kept sinless and perfect. Absolutely so. But according to his development and according to the plan and purpose of God, the Spirit in his wisdom decreed the extent of the manifestation of the power and the glory of his eternal deity. He indwelt Christ absolutely. The third area of the Spirit's work in the ministry of Christ is in the baptism. Matthew three sixteen and 17 takes this up, as does Luke three twenty one and 22. Let's read in Luke, since that's where our Bible's opened. At when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. What a beautiful example of the working of the Trinity. The, Holy, uh, the Son of God was the baptized one. The Father was the baptizer. And the Holy Spirit, if I could use the word reverently, was the element in which he was baptized. The Spirit came upon him. And this is the official opening of the public ministry of Jesus Christ. That in itself throws out the window all the Romish fables about a, a ministry that Christ exercised from his cradle, etc. This is the beginning of the public ministry of Christ. And the Holy Ghost comes upon him. Now, I have only time just to skate right over this. What does it prove? Number one, it proved the purity of Christ's person. He came, Matthew tells us, and Luke tells us, in the shape of a dove. Does that remind you of something? Do you remember back in Genesis chapter 8, after the flood, Noah sent out a dove? 
And the dove could find no place for the sole of her foot to rest upon, and she returned to the ark. What a picture that in a world under the curse and the condemnation and the wrath of a sin-hating God, the Holy Spirit could not find a man upon whom he could dwell and rest because of the virtue of that man's own person. There was not a genius, there was not a religious reformer, there was not a person in the world who by virtue of his own merit could have the measureless fullness of the Spirit of God. But here we have at the baptism of Christ the holy dove from heaven and he comes and in all his immeasurable fullness he rests on Jesus Christ. God's indication of the absolute sinlessness of Christ, the separateness of Jesus Christ, every other person upon whom the Spirit ever came or will come is because of the merit of Christ. Christ received the Spirit because of who he was in himself, because of his own perfect purity. What a testimony to his purity. But it proved something else. It proved the validity of Christ's Messiahship. We turn over to John's Gospel, chapter 1, and here we have verse 33, the words of John the Baptist, I knew him not, but he that sent me, by the way, notice the importance of those words, I knew him not. John was a relative, as it were, of Jesus Christ. But he says here at the very beginning of Christ's public ministry, I, did, I never knew he was the Messiah. I knew him not. Again, that will tell you how little you can believe the Romish fables about all the messianic miracles that the baby Jesus did. John says, I knew him not. But watch it carefully. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Here you have the proof of Christ as the Son of God and the Messiah. We read in Isaiah 42 verse 1 where the Father says that he will send his Spirit upon his servant. By the way, the servant in that entire section of Isaiah from chapter 40 onwards, the servant is preeminently Jesus Christ. 42.1, God promises to send the Spirit upon his servant. Isaiah 61 we read, uh, the words of the Messiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to preach. The Lord Jesus read those very words and made them his own in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. At the very first sermon that he ever preached, the first time he opened the scriptures as a teacher in the synagogue, he opened them at Luke 4, according to Luke 4 and 18, he opened them at Isaiah 61, and he read those words, and he says, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Jesus Christ, the fulfillment 
because the Spirit coming upon him is the proof of his Messiahship. Then follow him from his baptism. And since we're in Luke, let's stay in Luke here. It's also found in Matthew. Follow him from his baptism straight to his temptation. Luke 4, verse 1. Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Let me stop for a practical observation. Notice the order of the words. Full of the Holy Ghost, led by the Holy Ghost. Believer, you will not know the leading of the Holy Ghost living in a carnal, worldly, self-filled fashion. It is only as one is full of the Holy Ghost. I'll deal with that a little later when, when we proceed in our studies in the person and work of the Spirit. Ephesians 5 would give us the idea of dwelling full, existing under the continual control of the Spirit of God. Only when one is full and controlled by the Spirit of God can one then be led by the Spirit of God. It's a tragedy that there are so many Christians and they want the leading of the Spirit, the discernment of the Spirit, the blessings that come from these things while all the time walking in an unspiritual fashion. It cannot be. He was full of the Holy Ghost. And he was led by the Spirit. And notice where he was led. Into the wilderness. If I were to believe the nonsense of the modern charismatics, at least the popular TV brand of them, I would have to say that that was a mistake. Because surely if you're full of the Holy Ghost, and if you're led of the Holy Ghost, you'll always be in the mountaintop. You'll always be smiling. You'll always be singing. Uh, you'll always be rich. You'll always be making millions of dollars. You'll always be this, that, and the other thing. But the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. Being forty days tempted of the devil, led by the Spirit into his temptation. Now listen, Jesus Christ is God and man, and that fact made it impossible for him ever to contract personal guilt. He couldn't sin. God could not become personally involved in the guilt of sin. But yet it's a strange thing that I note here, that it wasn't by the mere exercise of his eternal deity that Christ defeated the devil? No. Rather, he depended on the indwelling Spirit. He was full of the Holy Ghost. And he depended on that indwelling and infilling Spirit. And you'll notice he used the sword of the Spirit. He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And that's how he conquered. What a lesson for you and me. Let me just say this to you. I don't really want to take time to pursue this because I'd have to preach a week at every point if I were going to digress on every one of them, follow them through. But if Jesus Christ, the God-man, 
did not use the mere fact of who he was to defeat the devil, but rather depended on the infilling of the Spirit and used the sword of the Spirit. How absolutely foolish is it for Christians to think that by the strength of their personality, by the might of their willpower, by screwing up their determination, they are going to defeat the devil. I want to tell you, my friend, victory for you and for me is given us here in this clear example. How do you get victory? Paul put it in a nutshell. I remember as a young Christian struggling, the devil defeating me again and again, bringing me down to the edge of despair where I wondered would God ever give me the light of assurance of faith and the light of victory in Jesus Christ and the joy of my salvation uh, to such a place that I thought perhaps there would never be anything but just tragedy and frustration enough to break the mind entirely. I remember as a young Christian with all that burden of defeat and frustration upon me, falling on my face before God. And the first time, oh, I'd read it again and again and again. But the first time, the fifth chapter of Galatians really opened up to me. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You've been listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. We are here as your servants for Christ's sake. If we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. If you would like to receive our booklet, Separated Unto the Gospel, a booklet that sets forth the beliefs and standards of the Free Presbyterian Church, you may have a copy free of charge, simply for the asking. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you would like to learn more about the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, we invite you to visit our website, www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelsch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak. (music) 